Welcome to the inaugural episode of Survivor Team Go. You needed to like count me down or something. You just did it. Hey, oh no, that's what our intro was. Hey, survivors. I'm Oliver. And I'm Bailey. And this is Survivor Team Go. Okay, that's our intro. That was our intro. We did it. You're welcome. about oh if this is a podcast for survivors of any stripe survivors of domestic violence were you beaten as a child did your ex-boyfriend try to kill you did anybody you've ever been in any relationship with threaten to commit suicide if you didn't do something that they wanted you to do have you attempted suicide but come out the other side still alive have you attempted suicide but you're still listening to this and you're not a ghost or even if you are. Do you have PTSD from a horrible car accident that you may or may not have lost bodily limbs in? Also, I guess if you were in a war. <laughs> that's, you can listen. You might not be happy. <laughs> um, basically, um, if you've been through trauma. Any kind of trauma. Any horrible trauma that you've survived. Yeah. This is the place for you. We have depression. We have PTSD. We, we have, have anxiety. Anxiety. You are too far away from the microphone. My, I, it's hard. And let's get into the podcast. What, what have you been up to this week? I've been, um, you know, uh, class and class and work. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there was a lady at work. I work, I, I'm a barista and she was trying to start a PTSD support group and stuff. Anyway, what okay, have you been so up to? Okay, so you're mumbling. Your you're mumbling, and you're also looking at me, and you're not talking into the microphone. I'm, 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 I'm doing better at it. Maybe. Good job. I'll keep reminding you. Okay. Uh, no, that's super cool. I think we should get together with the PTSD support group lady. You should text her back. Yeah. I meant to do it today, but I did not. Instead, I cried while I re- while reading about uh, the thing mo- that we're going to talk, about, gonna later. talk about later. Our, our featured survivor stories. Teaser. What have you been up to with your week, Bailey? I think that we should call this segment Emotional Health Check-In. <laughs> um, I am in a constant state of rage because of the Trump administration. And also, I may not have a job the day after tomorrow when the government shuts down because I work for a secret government agency and uh, we may or may not get paid throughout the shutdown. So that's... Bailey's the chair, the, the, like, the head fun. of the NSA. No, I'm not. It's real. It's a real secret government agency. Don't make it sound fake. Vague yet menacing government agency. I work for the secret police. No, you don't. Also, there's a homeless person living in our stairwell now. Oh, yeah. I was really upset about that last night. I So I closed at my um, very hip, cool barista workplace cafe last night. I rode home. It was like midnight. I was, uh, I st- was startled by a bunny that was minding its own business. Uh, 
<laughs> and walking my bike back up to the building to lock it up. And what do I see when I turn the corner? Ah, there's a man just lurking in the basement stairwell and right, right, right behind where I'm going to lock up my bike. And that's a bummer. Uh, and I asked, you know, ask him what he's doing there. He's like, trying, you know, just staying out the street. It's going to, it was pretty, it was getting pretty cold. It was midnight. I was like, you scared the shit out of me. Uh, which he didn't really react to at all. He just sort of continued, like, smoking a cigarette. And so that's a little bit weird. And then I'm like, so what are you, you, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I'm just staying off the street. And I was like, fair enough. And then I went upstairs and I went into my apartment and then I told Bailey. Well, but the thing is, is that this guy hangs around a lot because he actually works for our um, landlord. Or is friends with Tim but doesn't work there anymore? I don't know. I've seen him around. Because one time Tim went into our neighbor's apartment and he just sort of hung out on the landing outside and did not go in. But it's going to be really cold. The end. You know, there's, um, we live in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis represent. STL. Resistal. Um, we live in St. Louis, Missouri, where there's quite an organized uh, homeless population, I think, that I'm, there used to be like a, like a population of homeless people that live in the steam tunnels. Because St. Louis is like down the river from Chicago, so they send us their trash barrels and their homeless, their program for homeless people in Chicago, Illinois. Shout out to Chicago and its corrupt bullshit politicians and fucked up budget. Uh, their way of dealing with their homeless population is to give them a one-way bus ticket to St. Louis, where they can uh, be murdered in abandoned warehouses by, by the river. The, the, the homeless shelters. Larry Rice? I mean, Larry Rice didn't murder them, but they got, they got a lot of victims from the Larry Rice homeless shelters, which are now closed. Thank God. Different issue. We may talk about it another episode. That and Murford. I don't have... Oh, Murford. Yeah. Speaking well, of survivors. I guess. Is he a survivor? Well, no. I mean, like, homeless people who don't get murdered, don't don't die in being murdered. I, this is not, well, like, coherent. Well, that person, that person that they murdered... And dead. then dismantled in the oh warehouse. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was terrible. No, it was horrifying. Did you hear about this from... Um, uh, one of your murder podcasts? No, I read about this uh, in an article from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ah, uh, the sort of racist local newspaper. The local newspaper that we fucking hate. But I found out today that there's, like, a different newspaper that's, like, kind of a tabloid newspaper that just features, like, crime stories. Oh. Is the Riverfront local Times Local St. Louis crime stories. Is the Riverfront Times, it seems like it might be better. Like than the Post Dispatch. I've heard good things about the Riverfront Times recently. Because the Post Dispatch, the Post Dispatch has become the newspaper for the racist white people that live in the county who defend the police. Like hashtag Blue Lives Matter. Yeah, or All Lives Matter. I feel like St. Louis Post Dispatch is more like All Lives Matter than Blue Lives Matter, but I don't really know. I think they're a little bit Blue Lives Matter. I mean, the subtext of All Lives Matter is kind of a Blue Lives Matter thing. Basically, they can go fuck themselves, is what we're saying. Yeah. Because, like, Black Lives Matter. Please get on the Black Lives Matter train. Yeah. But, like, we want, also... We want to be supportive of survivors, but if you are an All Lives Matter person, this isn't the place for you. I mean, like, maybe, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's the place for you, but it may not be a comfortable place for you. Yeah. We, I mean... This is a place for all survivors. This is a safe space for us all to try harder not to be racist. 
I mean, that's just the thing. It's like, we're not going to, like, the our whole philosophy is we, like, we're on the side of survivors, so we're not going to, like, re-victimize people. You know, like, for, for, but like, we're not going to. We're not going to let other people re-victimize people. That's what I mean. That's what oh. I mean. We're black, like we're not going to be racist. We're not going to re or well, I mean, we're going to do our best. We're we are we're white people. Two white people from well, one white person from a lower class family in the racist suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri, and one white person from an upper middle class family in the white suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. So we are definitely other places. Definitely, <laughs> definitely definitely racist i mean you just can't you i, I mean, just feel like we have to i mean it's just uh it's in the air everybody's I telling mean, you constantly things and you like realize you're a child and then you realize later oh this is terrible and racist i mean when you're like growing up and every teacher you have is like don't talk to the black kids because they're dangerous i just you know i want to go into this with like a full disclosure about who i am as a human being and who i am is uh white person a white person but also oh well <laughs> more importantly i'm a survivor and this is a podcast for survivors so regardless of race gender creed i want to make a joke help me race gender religion creed sexual preference no, or that's not a species. joke species preference you can be a furry no i meant species like, if you're a tree, oh, but you're a survivor. Oh, we definitely, we're very accepting of the reptilians. And also the Whomping Willows. <laughs> and the Whomping Willows, uh, werewolves, reformed vampires. reformed vampires. Re- well, reformed, va- black ribboners only. It's a Terry Pratchett joke, you don't read. If they you read, don't drink blood. If you read Terry Pratchett books. None of it matters, digress. Let's stop talking about ourselves. Tangents. Um, let's talk about, um... No, well, I do want to talk about us just briefly after we cut all that out because we're now we've now been talking for twenty minutes about nothing but ourselves. We're gonna go through. We're gonna go through and we're gonna edit some of this. Um, we'll fix it in post. I do want to do like a quick intro segment so that we are what a quick intro segment about about what we're survivors of. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so that the people that are listening to us who came here like survivors like are like who are these like fucking basic white bitches like why are they talking about how racist they are why am i listening to this podcast i already stopped listening to this podcast because it went on for 20 minutes already so my dad started raping me when i was two and um he my mom caught him with me in the bathtub when i was six and made sure that he didn't wasn't alone with me ever again but he continued to sexually abuse and beat and emotionally abuse and just generally be horrible, a horrible monster uh, until I left the house at like age 20. So, and now I have PTSD and severe depression. I have also survived several suicide attempts. Oliver, what's your survivor story? Thank you for sharing, Bailey. You know what? You're welcome. Um, my survivor story is I had four parents because my uh, biological parents uh, had I was a college baby and they so uh, yeah so I my dad was uh, emotionally and psychologically uh, abusive from like a really young age and I didn't really understand that that was the case and I just thought he was the greatest for a long long time until I was also 
well, since until I was like 22. Until you met me and I started sowing the seeds of. Even then, though, I was really defensive and I was like, no, I my know, dad is great. But I was planting seeds. I mean. I was like, is he great? Yeah. Is he? And then my stepdad ignored me really assiduously, like my Let's call life. it like horrible neglect and emotional abuse. Let's it call them what they abuse. are. Emotional abuse, like really, really strenuously did not interact with me ever. Me. Anyway, Oliver is also a survivor of several uh, psychotic episodes. Oh, yeah. And severe depression. And I have a lot of anxiety. A couple of near suicide attempts. Yeah. Mostly just like weird not eating sort of dying accidentally stuff okay it's pretty just just not eating for weeks at a time and like not bathing and not being a person anyway it doesn't well it's very dissociated anyway so we just want to let you guys know like that you're not alone and we're here we have also been through really horrible. We've also been through horrible, horrible, horrible shit. Wor- like terrible things that are the worst. And we're here to tell you that um, this is. Uh, they, it's a wound, but they heal. No, no they don't. I don't That's know. a lie. They leave scars. I hope. I hope the painful memories only. I hope the painful memories, memories only flex, flex their, their power, power over you a little, a little at a little time. Of, a little at a time. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. Let's talk about our featured survivors today. Oh, shout out to Ryan. Oh, that's what made our episode last time really good. Because we started with a fucking shout out. Sorry, we, this is our inaugural episode. But we've recorded one before this. The audio quality was unlistenable. Not just like bad, like what you're experiencing now. Anyway, uh, shout out to Ryan, who we met. Well, when we first recorded, we had just met Ryan like the night before. Yeah, and he was so great. It was great. I loved so it. We, so we go to this yeah. place, and we're, like, hanging around, and, and we run into a friend of Oliver's from work. And Ryan starts telling us about how he had just gotten out of a terribly abusive relationship. And he showed us a and he showed scar us from a, a bite scar, mark. A, like a fucking human bite mark that was scarred into his arm. Yeah. And, like, he had, like, knife cuts on his arms. And he was like, yeah, this is from when... Uh, I tried to leave him and I packed up the car and I was driving away and he threw himself in front of the car and acted like I had hit him and fell into the street and then I got out of the car because I was worried that I had hit him and he came at me and bit me on the arm. And then the cops came. And then the cops came and said they would arrest both of them. Because that's how they do. Because that's how the fucking cops do. Same with those cops. Send you to the workhouse. Anyway, shout out to Ryan. Good job, Ryan. Ryan left. Ryan left. Anyway, Ryan, we love you, and we're so fucking proud of you, and you deserve better, and you're going to get it one day, because you're a strong, amazing person, and you left a terrible situation that was obviously really difficult to leave. We support you 100%. We support you 100%. We understand how hard it is to leave. We understand if you have to make the decision to stay. Uh, This is a safe place for people who are being abused. This is a safe place for people who have escaped abuse. Please don't go back. Yep but we understand if you do, but please don't. Let's do our featured survivors. Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> I'm just going to do bike, ba- ba- Baca again. You guys want to hear about Baca? So I cried a lot today preparing for this podcast. Because I looked up, because last time when we tried to record this, I um, did not look anything up. I did not do any research, and I got some stuff wrong. 
uh, and I'll probably still get some stuff wrong, but I want to tell you about Bikers Against Child Abuse. They're an international organization with um, chapters in uh, 36 states and five countries. I may have that wrong, but it's approximately correct. The, the Bikers Against Child Abuse, they are protectors, basically, of uh, like kids who are either have been through abuse or being abused or whatever. Like, you know, like, they will escort you to school. They will protect you at recess. This was a thing because there was a kid who was, like, afraid to go outside to play during recess at school because he didn't, because of what if his, his uh, like, his mom's ex-boyfriend or something, like, came by. So they were like, well, we'll figure out a way to, like, stand outside the gates or, or the fences or something. Um, and it's just this whole thing about, like, putting these big, burly, like, motorcycle riders, you know, like in between you and between the children and the, their abusers. And um, I didn't find the story that I was looking for, one of the stories that I remembered from uh, first hearing about it, but there was a really great story where this little boy like goes to, goes to court and he has these bikers who are escorting him and they fill up the front rows of the, the, the courtroom and you know they walk with him to the witness stand. And anyway, the, after... He testifies against this, like, his stepfather, who the fuck cares, this abuser. He, um, the judge asks him if he's scared. And uh, the boy says, no. And the judge is really surprised. And the boy says, no. And the judge is really surprised. And he's like, well, this man, but he hurt you. And he's like, why, why, are you not, why aren't you scared? Um, and the boy says, well, he looks up at the, you know, the bikers on each, either side of him. He says, because my friends are scarier than he is. <laughs> <laughs> which always makes me cry like everything about bikers against child abuse makes me cry they're so great um they were founded by this uh therapist in utah who had this little there was this little boy who wasn't speaking uh he would get to the point it was like july and all of the neighborhood kids were playing outside but he wouldn't he would get to a point where he would start playing outside when his abusers would come by and leave a note saying that they were watching and then he would get scared he would stay in his house it seemed very in, uh, it's, uh, it just seemed very natural to him. He was, uh, he knew some to reach out to like bikers because apparently I was wrong. I think I was wrong about this. Maybe he did have a bike by motorcycle or whatever, but like the reason he thought of it was because when he was eight in Los Angeles in a tough neighborhood, having, you know, a tough childhood, like he had been befriended by a gang of motorcycle riders and he, just sort of like he didn't he didn't uh he couldn't quote you any like numbers he said but like he's like yeah like mm, so many bikers have been abused as kids and they're very they all have like a soft spot about kids and they all really want to protect protect them and you know if they can you know step up and do something that's right while exercising some of their own demons then they will absolutely take the opportunity to and it really had to be bikers and not like it said in the, in the article I was reading it made like some comment about it had to be bikers not golfers because the image is you know you know different golfers are just not very intimidating it's really beautiful they're really beautiful and also once once a bucket kid once they've like adopted you as your one of their their kids that they are protecting you're always a bucket kid even after you've grown up even you know like even if you you you're you you're 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 like 35 and your abuser gets out of jail they're there for you they come they come over if you have a nightmare you know they like they're really great <laughs> there should be more people like that I love them. I love them too. I oh, and I heard um, because the, where I originally heard this about uh, was Tumblr. So people chime in. Somebody said uh, that they work at a cafe and they saw one of the people with the the patch 
like a, a biker come in and they had one of the vodka patches on their jacket and this uh, barista was like, hey, I, uh, I really appreciate what you've done. You're a hero. And this like big burly biker like kind of looked down and looked shy and was like, well, the kids are the real heroes, <laughs> which is true. And it's so beautiful. I'm crying again. This is a safe space to cry in. I've cried so much today. <laughs> this article, I like cried like three times. It just bam, bam, bam. Like so many stories. That's beautiful. If you or anyone you know is uh, involved in Baca, we would love to hear from you. Oh my goodness, we would. We'll edit in an email address oh here. Oh God, we don't have contact info. No, we don't. Yet. We'll make an email address. Probably Survivor Team Go at Gmail. Probably SurvivorTeamGo at gmail.com. Unless it's taken. Unless it's taken. We don't. Probably not taken. My eyelids are sore. My eyelids are literally like. Well, you got to rub your eyes less when you cry because you really sore. like pull on your eyelids when you cry. I'm going to go. I'm going to talk about Stacey Lannert. So uh, Stacey Lannert is a survivor close to my heart. I heard her interview with Diane Reem back in like uh, 2011 when her book came out. She's the author of a book called uh, Redemption, A Story of Sisterhood, Survival, and Finding Freedom Behind Bars. Um, she was also a guest on the Oprah Winfrey Show, the Joy Behar Show, and the Piers Morgan Tonight, all back in 2011 when she published her book, which is amazing and everyone should read it, even though I've never read it all the way through because it's very triggering for me. Um, but Stacey Lannert was born in St. Louis, Missouri oh. in 1972. Yeah, she's a local girl. Uh, they moved around a lot, though. And um, when she was 18 years old, she shot her father, Tom Lannert, in the head with a shotgun. Wait, after how did she get out if she After y- years of sexual abuse. We will get to that. Oh, commuted. Yeah, her sentence was commuted by Roy Blunt. The only good thing Roy Blunt ever did for Missouri. Who's the gov- was the former governor. He was former governor. He commuted Stacy Lannert and Char- Charity Carey, who I have never heard of outside of that context of her being associated with Stacy Lannert. So Stacy was born in 1972 in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, her parents divorced, I think, around when she was eight years old. I thought she said 12. Okay. Maybe it was 12. Her father started sexually abusing her when she was eight. And she's said a lot of, like, really, like, vulnerable, honest things. But some of the, like, the more most important things that I think she said is, like, about how much she loved her dad and how she had really good times with him and how, like, when he started abusing her sexually, it, like, made her feel special. And she thought it was, like, a special thing between them. And I think that these are all, like, really hard issues to talk about. And as somebody who went through a similar situation to what Stacy went through, uh, I can tell you that that's true. And uh, I'd never, I've, like, I've never really heard it from anybody else. So I think that the Stacey Lannert case and her book and all of that is, like, really important. If you're a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, I would really recommend that you listen to her interview with Diane Reem. You can find it. Just Google Stacey Lannert. NPR and you'll find a link to like the archived interview but she talks about how when she was eight years old her father started sexually abusing her her father Tom Lannert and then when she was nine years old he raped her for the first time and she went like running through her house looking for her mother 
and then he caught her and he told her that uh her mother wasn't there but that her mother knew what he had done and like was allowing it to happen and also that if she told her mother she would be a liar and she talked about like like as an adult she knew that that was a contradiction but like as a child all she thought was that my mother knows and she's letting this happen to me and also if I tell anybody they're just going to call me a liar which resonated with me a lot because I when I was uh, about 23 I disclosed to my mother that my father had been sexually abusing me even though she knew because she's the one that put a stop to it when I was six she caught him with me in the bathtub and I was like I know that you know and she called me a liar so continues to continues to call me a liar to this day anyway this is not about me this is about Stacy and Stacy suffered extreme abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Uh, her father was an alcoholic. They moved around a lot. And she had a sister who was two years younger than her. And at the age of, at the age of 18 in St. John, Missouri, she shot her father twice while he was sleeping on the sofa. She testified that on July 4th, 1990, she and her sister got home late, entered the house via a basement window at approximately 4.30 a.m. Seeing a rifle, she decided to kill her father. Finding her father asleep on the sofa, she shot him. This shot broke his collarbone and started him awake. In fear, Stacy closed her eyes and shot again. The next day, she consulted an adult friend who encouraged her and helped her dispose of the murder weapon. She called the police, pretending to have found her father dead on the sofa upon returning home. But she confessed to the murder to Lieutenant Tom Schulte and said it was because of the years of abuse she had suffered. She was charged with first-degree murder and other felonies. Now, I just read that off Wikipedia, but I remember in the Diane Rehm interview, Stacey Lanner going over the night that she killed her father. So I remember sort of like from that interview with Diane Rehm on NPR, like more details. And what had actually happened is that, according to Stacey, whose account is the only fucking account that we care about, she wasn't living with her father anymore. She had left a couple of years previously when she was like 16. She'd moved in with her mother. But her younger sister, who was two years younger than her and 16 at this time, was still living with her father. And Stacy went back to get her younger sister. And her father was drunk and violent and abusive. And he said that if Stacy was going to leave him, he would need like someone to use for sex, basically. And he grabbed her younger sister and dragged her into a room. And Stacy said in this interview that she thought she didn't know exactly what happened in that room because her sister never talked about it. But he locked the door and Stacy thought that he was raping her younger sister in the room. So Stacy was like beating on the door and freaking out. She said she beat her hands bloody on the door trying to get the door open and that she should have gone to get help. She talks a lot about how she should have gone to get help, but how she wasn't like thinking rationally. And I think that's really important, especially later on um, during the trial when they try to talk about like battered wife syndrome and how that defense didn't, why that defense didn't apply to Stacy. <sighs> but uh, she just like wasn't thinking rationally. She was only thinking like, it's, I'm the only person here. I have to get her out. You know, so she just sort of like beat on the door for hours until her fists were bloody. And then her dad let her sister out of the room. And then he f passed out on the couch. And Stacy took her sister and they left. And then Stacy said that the reason that she went back to the house later that night was that she was certain that 
her dad was going to kill her dog out of revenge. So she went back to get her dog, and she figured her dad was passed out. She sneaks into the house, and she sees him lying on the bed, or lying on the couch in the living room, and he had a rifle that he had been threatening them with earlier in that night, although he'd, like, passed out. He hadn't shot them, obviously. Um, So she said she saw the rifle, and she thought the only way she was ever going to be free is if she killed him. So she picked up the rifle, and she shot him. And then, you know, he woke up, and she shot him again, and he was dead. And also her dog escaped, and she never found her dog. Her dog ran away scared from the gunshots. Very sad. So Stacy, at first she tried to cover up the crime, but I guess she just didn't, I don't know. She ended up admitting to the murder, and uh, she went to court, and her attorney tried to argue that she had battered wife syndrome, which, if you're unfamiliar with the battered wife defense, um, I don't know who first argued it, but it's like an accepted legal defense that people, and it's usually women, although I think it should be applied to all people who have been severely abused, you know, like self-defense, the one thing, when I took a rape defense class, the one thing like the ex-police officer always told us in my rape defense class was, if you do defend yourself, the one thing you need to say to the police is that you were in fear for your life. That's the line. So that's like, that's what makes it self-defense. If you were in fear for your life, you're allowed to kill somebody. And the argument with the battered wife syndrome is that certain people who have been like horribly systematically abused are always in fear for their lives. So you may be like some dude's wife and he's been like abusing you for years and you wait until he's asleep and then you kill him. And like in that moment, maybe you weren't actually like acting on like a clear and present danger but like in your mind as the victim of like years of systematic abuse you feel that you could be killed at any time like this is your only opportunity to avoid being killed well not i mean i guess this is your only opportunity to avoid being killed but like the fear is so there it's ever present yeah it's like ever present and like that's exactly what stacy lanart describes in her interviews she's just like i just thought this is the only way I'll ever escape. Like, I have to kill him. So she did, and they made that argument. And it's really disgusting. The jury, when they came back with her conviction, which was first-degree murder, said that they wished that they could not convict her, that they could find her not guilty for the battered wife syndrome, but they said they can't because battered wife syndrome only applies if you're married to someone and since Stacy Lannert was Tom Lannert's daughter she was not married to him and it doesn't matter what kind of abuse she suffered that law doesn't apply to her even though as like a child of someone you are even more vulnerable than as their partner and it's even more disgusting that you would abuse that person fuck Tom Lannert I hope he burns in hell Anyway, so then, like, 20 years later, uh, Roy Blunt um, Commutes her sentence. commuted her sentence. Which, what does that mean? Uh, just, like, ma- makes it not, I don't know. He didn't pardon her. I don't know what commuting sentences means. I think it just means you don't have to do it anymore. Like, it's over. Like, you were, you're still considered guilty, but, like, you don't have to serve any more time? I don't know. 
Stacy Lannert was charged with first degree murder. Lannert's lawyer offered the defense of insanity or mental defect after his attempt to use the battered spouse syndrome in her defense. In a pretrial ruling, the court limited mention of battered spouse syndrome but allowed the defendant to make an offer of proof of self-defense. The St. Louis County prosecutor, Bob McCulloch, never called Schulte to testify, although he was the first official to talk with Lannert and had years of experience with sexual abuse victims. Schulte is the uh, Lieutenant Tom Schulte. That's the police officer that she uh, confessed to. But the judge refused to include any claim of self-defense in his instructions to the jury. Quote, under Missouri law, the self-defense argument was not valid because she wasn't in actual danger at the moment she pulled the trigger, end quote. The judge concluded that there was not any basis in the evidence for her claim of self-defense. The jury subsequently found her guilty in 1992 and sentenced her to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. The prosecutors had alleged that she murdered her father because she wanted his money. What the fuck? That's why. Lannert claimed that her father had sexually abused her from the age of eight. She said although she had reported the abuse to her guidance counselor, babysitter, and psychiatrist, no one took action to help her. Several expert witnesses testified at both Lannert's trial and appeal, agreeing that Lannert showed signs of abuse. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Her sister, Christy, was tried and convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Her sister was tried Her sister convicted? was 16 years old. She was sentenced to five years imprisonment. She was released on parole after serving two and a half years. After the judge's sentencing, some members of the That's jury disgusting. expressed it's disgusting. Fuck these judges. <sighs> He's probably a rapist too. Well. That's yeah. not true. We have no evidence well, of that. But they anyway, some, some people are all in cahoots. Some members some members of the jury expressed outrage that facts of sexual and physical abuse suffered by Leonard had not been introduced in the trial. The presiding judge, the honorable Stephen H. Goldman issued this statement regarding Stacy Lannert's case. The sentence is severe for a 20-year-old. It is also somewhat surprising considering the evidence of sexual abuse by the victim's father. Conventional life sentence would be more appropriate from a comparison standpoint. The Missouri Court of Appeals found in favor of the trial judge. The United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit issued the statement after Lannert filed a petition for appeal. The absence of aggression or provo provocation on the part of the defender, element of the Missouri self-defense statute, does not articulate a time frame during which the initial act of aggression and the act of self-defense must occur. It is therefore deeply troubling that the jury was not completely informed of the scope of the abuse Lannert suffered, her fear or her rage that her sister may also have been victimized by their father. This evidence of battered spouse syndrome might have placed Lannert's actions in proper context and may have allowed a jury to conclude that Lannert was not the initial aggressor on the night of her father's death, potentially resulting in a very different outcome than what she faces today. In March 20, 2003, the court ruled in favor of the original trial judge, though reluctantly it held that Lannert's appeal failed before the cited standards. The court rejected Lannert's position that a man who raped his daughter when she was in the third grade made him the initial aggressor and the author of his own doom. More crucially, the court noted that the battered spouse syndrome does not amount to a defense in itself, but is a support for a claim of self-defense indicating the frame of mind in which the defendant finds herself at the time of the act. The court declined to override Missouri's rules for jury instruction or interpretation of the battered spouse syndrome law. Anyway, eventually she sought a commutation from Matt Blunt. Oh, I was saying Roy Blunt, it's Matt Blunt. You're thinking of Roy Moore. No. There's no. a Roy Blunt. It's like a family of assholes. I thought it was Matt Blunt. I remember people defacing signs sure, for yeah. him and writing, making it say Fat Blunt. It's fat Blunt. Matt Blunt commuted her sentence after completing an exhaustive review of the evidence. In view of time served, Stacey Lannert was released from prison in 
2009. McCall, after she'd served about 20 years, Jesus, McCulloch has said he does not believe her claims of abuse. Oh. So. He does not believe the women. He does not believe the women. Lannert was described as having been a model prisoner. Oh. It's probably not as bad. Act, I, I'm sure it was a relief. Active in many different community projects as well as helping other survivors of incest and abuse. Oh, she also trained service dogs for the handicapped oh in addition Lord. to being president of the outreach program, an organization that brings troubled teens to prison to meet inmates with the incentive to warn them to take a different path in life. Don't get raped. Yeah, that's, that's really the moral of this story. Don't get raped when you're eight by your dad. Because that's your fucking fault, bitch. No, it's not. It's not your fault. We're being sarcastic. It's not your fault. I love you. You never did anything wrong. Not a damn thing. Stacy, you never did anything wrong, and we love you. But she knows that. Yeah, She's she an does. angel. She knows she that. Stacy Lannert has since founded Healing Sisters, a resource website and nonprofit organization to aid women who have suffered abuse, as well as work to end sexual abuse in America. If you or anyone you know is in a horrible situation or you suspect, if you suspect something, say something for the love of God. Can we just break the silence, please? Can we break the complicity? If you have been victimized, please. This is a controversial subject, but I am a firm believer that silence is complicity and that we need to come forward. Disclosure and is the only way. Disclosure is the only way to end the culture of silence and the culture of rape and is the only way to disempower the people that have victimized you and are currently victimizing people today. It's hard. It's really fucking hard, you guys. It's worth it. When I disclosed, uh, most of the people in my life stopped talking to me and a lot of people, I mean, I thought if people found out that my life would be over and then I disclosed and just started telling everybody that my dad had raped me and they were like, most of them already knew. Um, and they were just sort of like, so? Yeah, I mean, like yeah. they were like, why are you making this our problem? Yeah, they were like, why are you bringing this up now? Just to let it go. You're inconveniencing us. Um, and I was like, oh, so you knew all along. And they were like, well, of course. Don't be those people. If you see something, say something. You can always just, you may not be able to change something, but like you can help someone feel less alone. And that's- That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. Also, I want to give some resources to survivors. RAIN is a really good organization, R-A-I-N-N. -N. You can go to their website, www.rain.org. The National Sexual Assault Hotline is free and confidential. The number and is- 24-7. 24-7, the number is 800-656-HOPE, H-O-P-E, uh, and you can reach out, reach out to, I mean, I would recommend that you reach out to a professional, uh, because, like, you can tell people that you trust in your life. I don't know. I'm going to be real with you guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to put a rosy uh, fucking flower on it. Like, your friends probably, if you're in an abusive situation, your friends probably can't help you. Like, maybe they're a safe place to go for the night. I don't know. Um, a new boyfriend is not going to fucking help you. You know, don't wait for some goddamn Prince Charming to come try to save you. Teachers, like teachers don't do shit. Like you need to go call a hotline, find a professional. The police will not help you. 
reach out to domestic violence shelters. I can tell you in St. Louis, Lydia's House is an excellent organization. Dorcas House, is they, are they still a thing? I don't know. The only one I know about in St. Louis is Lydia's House. Maybe Dorcas House is in Little Rock. Um, most cities have a domestic violence shelter. You need to be like pretty severely a, a victim of pretty severe physical abuse to enter shelters like that. But they have but resources. But they have resources. And they can tell you other stuff that they can do for you or give you information about. What's even if you the Boys and Girls Home? Boys and Girls Club? No, there's like a another place in St. Louis that's like specifically for teenagers who are fleeing violent situations. I knew what it was called in Chico, California. Or teenagers California. leaving like homeless I don't situations. Know I know what it. I know that LGBT youth group and like the the relatives in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. The rel if you're living listening in Charlotte, North Carolina, the relatives is like uh, has some resources for kids. Time. Uh, uh, Time Out Youth has some resources for uh, like gay kids, but I'm sorry, we're uh, we should educate ourselves before the next episode and have more a better list. We're gonna figure out more resources to give you guys next time, uh, but you know who can give you resources? The National Sexual Abuse Hotline. Let's repeat that number: one eight hundred one eight hundred six five six hope h o p e one eight hundred six five six hope. You can also text them. Just go to www.rainn.org, rain.org, uh, rain with two N's, and it's you could either call them or you can text them, and you can get help from a trained specialist who could actually help you because reaching out is really difficult, and reaching out and being called a liar or reaching out and being told to just, like, put on a stiff upper lip or reaching out and being told there's people going through things worse than you that's just not what you need to hear. That's not constructive. That's re-victimizing you. Because what's what's happening to you is serious. And it's real. And, and it's you're, real. And you're worthy of help. Like you You're worthy of help. Everyone has the right to feel safe. Anyway, so we'd like to end the podcast with a practical tip uh, for survivors. Just P how to handle PTSD, how to live your life. I liked your tip from last time. I don't remember what my tip from last time was. Oh, right. Okay, my practical tip uh, for people who are in domestic violence situations, um, just have, like, a, a fund. Secret fund. A secret fund. Like, just... It doesn't matter if it's like cash that you keep in a sock drawer. One of the major ways that abusers keep you from leaving them is through financial abuse. They'll try to control the finances. You, I mean, fucking let them. Let them control the finances. You don't need to have complete control of what's going on, especially if you're scared, especially if it's your parents. Don't try to, like, stand up if you're afraid. Let them feel like they have control. And all you need is $2,000 you can start a new life with $2,000. I guarantee you, you can start a new life with $2,000. And with $200, you can stay, like $100 or $1 or $200, you can, you can get gets you a couple nights away. Just whatever you can save. Just keep it hidden. About $300 gets you a plane ticket to a different city. I remember that was a hard thing for me to get. I got 200 out of 300 My tip. What's your tip? I don't know what my tip is. Last time I had a tip, but it was like rambling and terrible and all over the place. Find somebody you can trust. What's my tip? Like find support network. Find people that you can trust. It's hard. Try to find another survivor. Definitely. That's what I would say. To that, find another survivor. Like having, 
like, and it can be hard because, you know, a lot of my best friends have been fellow survivors and they have good times and they have bad times and they come in and out of your life and they come in and out of drug abuse and alcohol abuse and, um, but like, even if they're not always there for you, just like having known them will make you feel less alone. And this is not always the case because sometimes our trauma can really make us really fucked up and the society's re-victimization of us can put a lot of pressure on our relationships, including our friendships. Um, but survivors can be among the most loyal people that you will ever meet. And they can be the people who will really go to bat for you when it counts. It's not always true, but it can't, they, it can't be because they really, because they really get it. We're, we are here for you. Yeah. And we're here to be your digital support network. And also you can email us when we figure out what our email address is. And hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're part of a team. You're, part, you're on our team now. We're on our team. We're on your team. We're on your team. We're all on a team together. Welcome to Survivor Team. You go. Well, no, it's like <laughs> we're the Survivor Team and then, we're, and then we go. So this is Survivor Team, but the podcast is Survivor Team Go. Is that? It's like an action. Yes. So we're Survivor Team Go. This is. No, like. <laughs> 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 Wait, no, this is the, the team go and we survive? It's team go and we survive. <laughs> <laughs> it's team go survivor. Team go survivor. Yeah, that's what I thought. Team Survivor team go. We're team go and we survive. Team survivor go is a podcast where we talk about the first season of Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We do have another podcast. This is a real thing. That's it's a, a fan cast. We, we started this one as it's like a, a survivor fan cast. This, this podcast that you're listening to right now is actually a spinoff of our other podcast, which is our main passion, which this is about the show Survivor. This has just been a long, weird, sad advertisement for our real podcast, which is a Survivor fan cast. <laughs> Please tune in next week. Please listen and or subscribe. Or next whenever. Listen and subscribe. Rate and review. We're going to talk about uh, the, the time when they eat the fish. And the other time when they pass the, the torches. We're going to talk about who gets booted off the island. We're going to talk about Next whether season. or not we're here to make friends. Next season. I'm we're not here to make friends. I'm not here to I'm not here to win. I'm I'm just here to make friends. <laughs> it's my constant thing in life that people find very upsetting. I'm not competitive. I'm not here to win. I'm just here to make friends. I'm here to support people. Yeah. I'm here to weirdly standoffishly support people. I'm I'm here to make friends while not making eye contact. And together, we're, we, su we're survivors. We're Survivor Team Go. <laughs> we are Survivor Team Go. Is there, are you ready for our outro? No, I don't remember what our outro is. Oh, I, well, you'll, you'll remember when I start saying it. Okay, you go. All right, so listeners, I want you to know there's a war going on. And in the mortal words of Audre Lorde, Your silence will not save you. This is Survivor Team Go. Bye, guys. We love you. Go read Audre Lorde.